He is risen. So Resurrection Sunday may have passed how many weeks ago? Two weeks ago? But Easter tide keeps on rolling. You know that resurrection can't be contained in one Sunday morning gathering. And so the church historically has spent time celebrating the truth and the reality of Easter in the weeks that follow leading up to Pentecost. The resurrection of Jesus continues to shape our world today. The resurrection of Jesus continues to have meaning for you today. But the way that the Easter story, the way that resurrection intersects with the the lives of the disciples, both then and now, it, it happens in surprising and, I would say, subversive ways. If you've read the story in the Gospels, these early followers of Jesus, they did not expect Jesus to come back to life again on the third day. They were very surprised when it happened the first time. And then as they engage the risen Jesus, they're caught off guard. Most of them, at first glance, don't recognize him. They don't know him. And in some ways, they have, maybe the best word I can use is disorientation. Like, what is happening now? Who are you? What does this mean? So last week, we, we looked at the story of Mary and her tears weeping with the supposed gardener, and Jesus met her tears with tender questions, and he spoke her name, and he did his gardening work as the gardener with gardening hope. So this week, we're going to look at another story, kind of this series of exploring the resurrection. So Mary was in tears Easter morning. This week, we're going to look at a story where two other disciples are confused. They're discouraged. They're disappointed. You all would agree that disappointment is a tough pill to swallow? Several years back, when my oldest was in elementary school, I chaperoned a field trip unlike any field trip I have ever been on. And it was, a, it was a beautiful sunny day. It was probably early, mid-June. You know, one of those days, clear blue sky, sunny day. It was beautiful. And we hopped aboard a school bus, 35 to 40 fourth and fifth graders. And they were pumped because they were celebrating a year of doing patrol duty at their elementary school. And the reward was a day at Wild Waves. You ever been to Wild Waves before? Lazy river, tubes, slides, pools. So that morning, everyone on board was excited. Beautiful sunny day with friends. Didn't have to go to school, but you got to be with your friends from school. They had their swimsuits on. They had their sunscreen all applied. They had their towels draped over their arm, ready to go. In fact, everyone was so pumped after the bus ride from Olympia up I-5, got off the freeway, we pulled into the parking lot of Wild Waves, and there was this spontaneous chant that arose on the bus. Wild Waves, why? And it broke, like the whole bus, 40 
Fourth and fifth graders chanting, wild waves, wild waves. It got louder and louder. Bus rolls into, and they're going crazy, so excited for their day at wild waves. Bus pulls into the parking lot. I was there as the chaperone. I was just smiling. I was just along for the ride. Bus pulls in. The teacher who was in charge, he hopped off to go check in and get our group tickets. The kids were just buzzing, talking, laughing, having a good time. About 10, 15 minutes later, I'm like, something's not right here. And like, they're still talking, they're, they're young, they don't have a clue what's going on at all. I'm watching, going, what is happening? Pretty soon the teacher walks back up, and he walks back on the bus, and he has to deliver the most unbelievable news. The teacher in charge of the trip didn't check to see the dates of opening, and they were still on their winter hours, and the park was closed. And so you got to tell 40 fourth and fifth graders, wild ways is closed. And we literally just, he hopped on the bus and we turned around and we drove back to Olympia. Worst field trip ever. And at first they were just kind of confused. They're like, what's going on? They're like, like, and I'm like, no one bothered to check? How does this happen? They had their sunscreen on, backpacks on, towels, chanting their hearts out, just utterly disappointed. Time to head back to school. Like it was the ultimate rug being yanked out from under their feet. Good thing it was only elementary school entertainment. You get over that stuff quickly. That makes for a funny story. There are other times, though, in life when it just gets yanked out from underneath you. Confused, disoriented, discouraged, disappointed. What what does the resurrection have to say there? Here's the story. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Hopefully today this story will help show how God wants to Easter in us. It's the story that takes place along the Emmaus Road. Since that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. I don't want to interrupt the story too much, but I'll, I'll pause it here just to clarify a few things. First of all, what day is this story taking place? It says that very day. Like, what day is that? That very day, it forces you back into the text, and you look here, Luke 24. Oh, this all is happening that very day is Easter Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is the same day when Mary, the women, the disciples find that the tomb is empty. This is Resurrection Sunday. Same day, different encounter. And then that's when it's happening. Who is this happening to? It says... That very day, two of them, two of who? They're walking to this village called Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. Here in verse 13, Luke is kind of vague. Later in the story, we come to find out in verse 18, there are these two companions. One of them is named Cleopas. Some scholars recently have made a really good case in my mind that it was Cleopas and his wife, most likely named Mary. 
This is a husband and wife disciple group heading home after a busy week of Passover celebration and engaging what all had just happened in Jerusalem that weekend. Here's where the story gets good. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Is there a next slide? No, I cut myself off too soon. I'll keep reading then without it being on the screen. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So, as Cleopas and his companion make their way down the road, you get the sense they're not, they're not upbeat, right? They're not happy. They're not skipping. They're not singing worship songs on their way back on the road. They're sad. Their hearts are heavy. This is something's weighing on them. This scene, actually, um, from a Jewish perspective, is backwards. Because you have these two Jewish people leaving Jerusalem sad. Biblically, scripturally, in the Psalms, Jerusalem is the place of joy. It's the place of God's presence. It's the place of God's worship. It's the place of the great king. Psalm 48.1 says that Jerusalem is the joy of the whole earth. And so here you have this picture of two people, they're leaving Jerusalem, and they're sad, discouraged. And as they're walking, and as they're talking, and they're processing and debriefing, guess who shows up? It's Jesus, but they don't recognize that it's Jesus, much like Mary, right, in the garden tomb, and it's Jesus, and like it's the gardener until they engage. Their eyes see him, but they don't know him. And I love how coy Jesus is. They're walking along, and he's like, I'm going to walk with you. He joins them in their journey. They're trudging along, heavy-hearted. Jesus draws near and says, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Again, you're asking questions. What, what conversation are you having? And the way that Jesus engages them, it, it throws them off so much that like, Cleopas stops. It's like a, a re record scratch. Like, er, like, are you serious? Like, are you the only one who has no idea what has just gone on? Like, are you not from around these parts? Have you not been in town? Have you not heard? And Jesus keeps playing dumb. I guess I'll put it that way. It's like, oh, I don't know what's happening here. Verse 19. And he said to them, what things? <laughs> I love Jesus. What things? And so they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it was now the third day since these things happened. 
Jesus joins these discouraged disciples in a walk on their journey. He asks them questions. He presumes nothing. He, present, he, he presents nothing. He walks with them. He asks questions. And as he says, well, what things? And then Cleopas, he, la- he launches into this. Two observations about Cleopas. Observation number one. These two disciples have all of the facts. Not only do they have all of the facts, but if you listen to what they just said, they have all their facts straight. Jesus says, what things? And Cleopas launches into this thing. And you'll notice, like, historically and theologically, this, this guy nails it. He talks about Jesus, a prophet, mighty indeed, before God and man. He talks about his crucifixion, how he was condemned to die by the chief priests and the religious leaders. He talks about his messianic expectation, how he had hoped for him to be the one to redeem Israel and Israel's story. He even goes on to say, we have reports of his resurrection. The women told us and the disciples went there on the third day to the tomb and they didn't find his body. And they found an angel who proclaimed the good news that he is alive. The disciples went back to check on it, and they found it to be just like the women had said. You're like, Cleopas just explained the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. To Jesus. (laughs) And he nailed it. He has his facts straight. And sure, there are other things that could be said, other nuances that could be covered. But on the whole, there you have, you have this like eyewitness part of the group testimony of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And notice what kind of mood they're in. They're sad, discouraged, confused, depressed, discouraged, in despair, disbelief. And they're walking with Jesus, with him, telling him about all that is true. I just think it's worth noting that you can nail the details of the Easter story and miss the Easter story. That should be a little sobering to us. Maybe even sobering to some of you all that have been a part of church for a long time like me. You can have all the facts of the Easter story and miss out on a resurrection. Not only did they have all the facts, observation number two is these disciples had all the scriptures too. Listen to where this goes next, verse 25. He said to them, this is Jesus then speaking, he says, oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. I don't think Jesus is being harsh with them, but he calls them foolish. And why I think he says they're being foolish is because none of this is actually new information. That's what he says. He says, this is is the old story. Do you notice what Jesus refers to? He calls them back to the prophets, to Moses, the prophets, the writings. And he says, oh, well, the prophet said that it would be necessary for the Messiah to have to suffer before he enters into glory. And then there's this part that I wish I would have been around for. They get the best Bible study that has ever existed on planet Earth. 
the living, risen Jesus walking on the road with them. We're told here, verse 27, from memory, Jesus goes back, no Torah scrolls needed, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted all the Old Testament, all the Hebrew Scriptures, and pointed out the things that were concerning himself. (laughs) What a gift that would be to walk with the risen Jesus and have him walk through from Moses and the prophets all things that point to him. Jesus goes back and says, and that's about me, and that's about me, and that's about me. Jesus essentially declares himself to be the hero of the story. It's not new information. In fact, this was information that had been around for centuries. The law, the prophets, the writing. Jesus himself says, that's just my story. Again, my two observations at this point through the story, they have all the facts. They, they recited the whole life, death, resurrection of Jesus. They have all the scriptures. They had, they had that. They knew that. They had been immersed in that. They knew Moses and the law. They knew the prophets. They knew the writings. They had the, the greatest Bible study in the history of the world And yet, it seems to not have made a difference yet for them. What happens next? Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going. Again, I love Jesus' like he's playing with them. He acted as if he were going further. I'm like, I'm going further down the road. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And they come to the end of their seven-mile journey home. Lots of walking and talking and questions and study from the scriptures with Jesus. And they get to the house and Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to keep on going. Like, no, it's late. Come on in. Oh, okay. If you, if you say so, I'll come on in. And Jesus comes in and what happens next I think is really key. Jesus is the guest in their home and he engages them around a meal. And he goes to the table And he takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and he gives it to them. And there's something in the meal. And their eyes are open. They're like, it's Jesus. We've been walking with Jesus. It's him. He's recognized and experienced in the meal. Here's what's interesting. This is not the first time Jesus has done this. One scholar calls this Jesus' signature move. You know how Michael Jordan stuck his tongue out while he dunked? Marshawn Lynch has the beast quake. Tiger Woods has his fist pump. Simone Biles has the Yurchenko double pike vault. (laughs) Got to cover my athletic grounds here. This is Jesus' signature move. He takes, he blesses, he breaks, 
and he gives. He's done this before. He did this when he fed the 5,000. He did this when he fed the 4,000. He did this at the Last Supper. He took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gives it. My friends, I submit to you, this is what Jesus loves to do. First of all, Jesus takes. He takes. He actually has the authority to take. And here he takes the bread, but in reality, he will take whatever we bring. He takes ourselves. He takes our hearts, our lives. Sometimes we don't like it when he desires to take. We're, more, we're, we're far more comfortable believing abstract truths about Jesus than to have him take. But he takes our fears and our dreams. He takes our wills. He takes everything. Nothing else happens unless he takes. And then he blesses. Jesus gives thanks. He speaks the good word. Blessing is, is a monumental part of the legacy of faith. And he's lifting his hands to the Father and affirming that it comes from him, that every good and perfect gift comes from him. He blesses it. And it doesn't matter how meager it is, Jesus blesses. He doesn't condemn, he doesn't complain, he doesn't compare. He is thankful for all things in his hands. And then he breaks. There's a breaking. Here's the point of the breaking is for things to change. Things don't stay the same. Something has to be done to deal with the problems at hand and things need to be broken. Our, our pride is broken. Our lives are broken. Our self-reliance is broken. Sin is broken. As we learned in Narnia, Jesus is not safe but he's good. So he takes and he blesses and he breaks. And then when he breaks, he gives. That's why he's taking. He's taking to bless and break and give. And over and over and over again, this becomes the gospel pattern, the Jesus story, the way of the kingdom. God takes and he blesses and he breaks and he gives. Jesus does this in the meal because this is what was done to him. The Father took the Son, and at his baptism, he blessed the Son, and then he broke his Son on the cross, and he gave his Son. As Jesus has been taken by the Father and blessed and broken and given, here in the meal, he takes the bread, and he blesses and breaks and gives. Again, his body broken, his blood shed that we as his people would be taken by him and blessed by him and broken by him and given by him to the world. This is Jesus' signature move and it's the way of the kingdom. It's the Easter story. It runs deeper than the facts. Like the facts matter. And maybe some of you struggle with knowing about the historical relevance of the resurrection. Can we trust the Bible? Can we trust that Jesus actually existed and that he died? But I could give you all the facts, and you may or may not agree with them. It's more than just facts. And I can read you all of the scriptures. 
and I believe in the scriptures, and I love the scriptures. But they had all the facts, and they had all the scriptures. And it wasn't until they experienced Jesus in the taking and the blessing and the breaking and the giving that Jesus became real to them. And what was happening there, the confusion cleared. The disorientation was centered upon him for them. And then Jesus disappears. How do they respond? Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That's an interesting way to respond. They run back to Jerusalem and they confirm the facts that they already had. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they think back on that encounter, like, oh, I had a heartburn, didn't you? I just, something was happening inside of me when we were talking and walking with Jesus. And he opened the scriptures, didn't our hearts burn? And they respond with joy, and they respond with action, and they run, they run back. You notice, where, where do they go? Jerusalem. How far away? Seven miles. <laughs> yeah, I don't run seven miles for nothing. Unless I'm being chased with a gun or something. They go back, seven miles back in, and they are so excited, and they confirm the facts and the story of the scriptures. This is true. He is risen. Peter's not lying. We experienced him for ourselves. And as the story ends, they talk about what happened on the road and how was Jesus known. He was known in the breaking of the bread because Easter was always meant to be experienced. Not just thought about, heard about, Resurrection was meant to be experienced by you, by his people, the world. Here's the detail, though, that to me I think is, is, is important in this. And when you hear the story, if you're not like, I've gotten very familiar with the story because I've heard it so many times. But when you're not familiar with the story, this is the odd part of the story to me. In this meal, Jesus is the host. Does anyone else find that odd? Think about it. These two disciples are walking down the road and they're returning to their village and they're coming back to their home and they're sitting down at their table with their meal and their bread and the person who hosts the meal is Jesus, who they don't know is Jesus, the stranger, who walks with them, talks with them, enters their home, and they sit down for a meal, and Jesus is the one who takes and blesses and breaks and gives. In our terms, and probably even more so theirs, that's weird. 
That's preposterous. That's presumptuous. I would never dare walk into your house and I host you, especially in Middle Eastern culture. You come to my house, I host you. Jesus is the host. Talk about making yourself at home. It wasn't his town, it wasn't his home, it wasn't his table, it wasn't his meal. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? The risen king of heaven and earth. Who offers himself as the host of the meal, not just a random visitor. He is the one, the risen Lord of new creation, the one who has brought heaven to earth, the one who has defeated Satan's sin and death, and who has fulfilled all the covenant promises of Israel. And he is the one. He is the one who must take and bless and break and give. And these disciples, as they experience Jesus, this is key. Their very reception of that meal included a humble submission to Jesus as the host. That's what begins to unlock resurrection for them. That's what unlocks Easter for them, is there's a humble submission to Lord Jesus, the one who is the host, the one who takes, and the one who blesses, and the one who breaks, and the one who gives. So my encouragement for us and for you is, do you want to know and experience God? Do you want to see him? Do you want to know what Easter in its fullness is meant to be in our world, in our lives? Then you have to let Jesus be the host. Humble submission to him that you would let him take and you would let him bless and you would let him break and you would let him give. Jesus is looking for those who will say, because Jesus, you were taken, take me. Because you were blessed, bless me. Because you were broken, break me. Because you were given, give me. And there's this humble submission to him his invitation to you today in your discouragement in your disorientation that Jesus would be the host even if you have all the facts or all the scriptures this is where Jesus becomes known and these are my questions for us tonight what does Jesus need to take what does Jesus want to bless What does Jesus need to break? What does he want to give? This is his signature move. Even tonight, taking, blessing, breaking, giving. That we may then, as his people, would then go to take and bless and break and give. In humble submission, to Jesus as our host. They meet Jesus in the meal. So tonight, we're going to end, we're going to sing a couple songs, but how can you preach a sermon about the meal, the bread being taken and blessed and broken and given, and how can we not do that together? and in humble submission respond to the host, Jesus, and meet him in the meal.
tonight. So you'll notice the elements are not up front. I had to hide them because people came up and started grabbing them early. You're just creatures of habit. I know. I appreciate it. But tonight I want to, I've invited uh, Neil and Carla Shaw to be our host tonight. We haven't done this since COVID. We're still using the same little elements. But I want you to receive it from someone tonight. I want you to be able to look somebody in the eye and hear from them, this is the body of Christ broken for you. I want you to hear, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you desire to engage us tonight. May our eyes be opened to you beyond the facts through the scripture in a way where we understand and see you, know you, submit to you humbly, and let you have your way in us, that we would find our life in you. God, I pray for those that may even be here tonight that have not yet come to surrender by faith to Jesus. May they sense his invitation even tonight. And God, in those places where you need to take, Lord, would you take, and where you want to bless, may you bless. Where there's a breaking that's happening, may you break, because in your wisdom and goodness, we trust broken things in your hands. And we trust that you will give in your goodness. May we meet you here tonight, Jesus, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.